answer the prayer of that song, would you restore your joy to us again? Lord, if any of us is discouraged or despondent, remind us of the victory that we have in you. Teach us this morning, Lord. We want to learn. As disciples, Lord, we want to become like our master. So let us see your joy. Let us hear your joy. And let your joy become our strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been thinking about reasons that we might rejoice. And I said to you last week that if, if you root your thanksgiving in timeless theological truth, you will never run out of reasons to rejoice. So last week we thought about the power of the resurrection. And, and uh, then as I went away up, up to uh, Fort Worth, I received a call from a friend of mine early on Monday morning. Uh, his, his father, Richard Gutierrez, went to be with the Lord. And it's been a week of just uh, loving that family. I've been out of town, but many of you have been loving that family. And I had the chance on Friday to be at that funeral. And my word to you this morning is just this. Whatever happens to us this week, wherever we go, whatever happens, Christ is risen. And the fact that Jesus Christ is raised is a continuing reason to rejoice in the resurrection of Christ. Now, Paul didn't just say thanks be to God to the Corinthian church one time. He said it three times. So I want to look today at the second time and then next week at the third time. And the second reason he gives thanks is for the direction that God gives in our lives. He shows us this picture of God guiding us, always leading us in triumphal procession. This is important because this week you're going to make decisions I've had the chance in this past week to talk to friends of mine who are making critical decisions and felt very clearly God's direction. One of our sons called us this week. He's trying to make a hard decision about something. And he said, I've prayed about it. He said, how do I know whether I'm doing the right thing? And I said, well, have you prayed about it? Yes, I've prayed about it. And I said, well, you know, have have you a sense that God's uh, telling you to go or is he telling you no? What what do you sense? And he said, well, I don't think I'm supposed to do this, but, but how do I know for sure? So I quoted him a formula and hung up. No, I, I sort, sort of started pondering that. I started thinking, what does this mean? And we started working through it. And finally, over the phone, you know, I love it when your kids sort of call you to account. He said, well, have you prayed for me about this? And I said, well, yes, I have. And he said, well, what did God tell you? I think there's this idea if you're a pastor, you know, that God just, you know, calls you. It's like a local call or something, you know. And, and so I said, well, you know what? We just need to keep praying. And God's going to give us direction. I want you to hear Paul's story because I can't think of anybody in the Bible who ever had a clearer sense that he was in the will of God than the Apostle Paul. So let's open our Bibles together this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12. And let's stand together as we read God's word. I call this message trophies of grace. Hear the word of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12. Paul says, now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. 
So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death. To the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many We do not peddle the Word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. You may be seated. We're joining a story midstream here, so let me sort of catch us up on the story and say Paul started a church in Corinth and he preached there for a long time and loved those people. And then when he had to go away, his only way to communicate with them was by letter. And and after he left, everything went south. I mean, just everything that could go wrong had gone wrong, lots of problems. So Paul wrote them a letter. And the letter was, as he described it, a painful letter because he just had to say to them, look, this is really important. You need to get this right. You need to get it right now. For instance, there was a person who was living in immorality but coming to church every Sunday. And he said, you know what? The church needs to not be proud of itself. The church needs to confront sin in its membership. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So he just takes that on. And and as a matter of fact, he says, look, what you got to do is just withdraw from that person until that person says, okay, I'm going to start living right. And that was a very painful thing for him to write. And he wasn't there to supervise it. And he didn't know how it was going to go. And that was just one of many problems that they were facing. They were taking each other to court. Lots of stuff going on. And so Paul sends the letter via Titus, one of his associates, sort of Titus was the Pony Express of the first century. Titus goes there and Paul continues his ministry and he finds himself in Troas and wouldn't you know it, God opens a great door for him to minister there and he's preaching the gospel and people are receiving the message, but Paul can't get his mind off of the church in Corinth and Titus, who should be coming back by now, but he's not back. And so Paul says, I had to leave those people where God had given me an open door for ministry and move on to Macedonia because I was looking for Titus and we learn in chapter 7 verse 5 that Titus showed up there. And when he showed up he said, they received your message well, they repented, things are going good and Paul was relieved. And he doesn't tell us that part of the story yet. He's going to get there but there's sort of a diversion here and he says um, in verse 14, he says, thanks be to God. He says, literally grace to God. God gives grace and I give grace. I give thanks. He says grace. He gives thanks to God because he says God leads us. God not only leads us, but God, he says, always leads us. God always leads us in triumphal procession. And the picture is of a great Roman general marching back into Rome with his captives in train and the priests are there and they're burning incense and it's like a parade with all the sights and sounds and smells of a parade. What does a parade smell like? And as he's uh, marching in, this general is wearing a Roman purple tunic. He's riding like Ben-Hur in a chariot. He's got somebody there holding a crown above his head. And, and the captives come in. And the victors come in. And it's a great celebration. And that's the word that Paul uses, three ambuo, to say God leads us in triumph. 
And he's always leading us in this triumphal procession. And you can just smell the fragrance. He says it's the fragrance of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ to God. But not everybody in the crowd appreciates the aroma. Some smell the smell of Zoe, of life. And some of Thanatos, of death. And he says, I don't know what to say about that except just to say thanks be to God because we're not about peddling the Word of God for profit. We are held accountable to God. And what I want you to hear Paul saying as he says thanks to God is first, thanks to God because He leads us. Thankfully, God leads us. God leads us, He shows us, into opportunities. And we see it there in verse 12 where he says, I went to Troas to preach. And, and you know, you don't always know when you go to preach that people are going to receive what you have to say. But in Troas, they did receive. And you know, there are countless stories in Jesus and Paul's life of going into towns where people really didn't want to hear what they had to say. But Troas wasn't like that. And they received his message. And it was a great opportunity. And God opens this door. And I just want you to see that God is in the business of opening doors for people. You see it in Acts chapter 14, verse 27, when Barnabas and Paul come back to the church at Jerusalem or at Antioch. And they're, they're talking there about what God has done. And And Barnabas says, and God gave an open door of faith to the Gentiles. It's what Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, he says, the one who speaks to you, Jesus, is the one who opens doors that no one can shut. And I've placed before you an open door, Revelation 3, 8, that no one can shut. I love about our God that He is a way maker. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see and He will make a way for me. God will make a way. And the way that God makes is a way for the gospel to be proclaimed. In other words, if you're wondering today and you came and you said, I just don't know what God's will for my life is. One thing you can be confident of is that God wants his word to go forth. He wants people to hear the good news. He wants people to know him. And what God really wants is for you and I to be the kinds of people that when people look at our lives, when they hear our voices, when they they recognize in us first that we are people who know God and who want to make Him known. If I could just sort of summarize God's will for you, it's God wants you to know Him, and He wants you to make Him known. And we sometimes say, well, I need to know what God's will is in very specific kinds of things. And I'm just, I may just blow your mind this morning and say, I don't think God cares whether you wear blue socks or black socks. I mean, I know some of us, we labor over that for hours sometimes, but I'm telling you, I don't think God is so much concerned about these little things like that as He is about who we are. The will of God is not so much about what we do as about becoming people of character. And if we can become people like Christ who go through the open doors that He opens for us, we'll discover as we are becoming more like Christ that that there's a great deal of freedom within the will of God. That sometimes choices we make aren't between good and bad, but between good and good, and that God is not, if you say to me, yeah, but years ago I got outside the will of God, so I can never be in the will of God again. You're limiting God, because God 
has a plan from where you are for the rest of your life. He has things He wants you to do. And within that, He wants you to become more like Christ. And in that dynamic interaction, He's going to open doors for you. And if you're becoming the kind of person that God wants you to be, I think you're going to recognize those doors when they open. And you'll recognize them when they're closed. And you'll save yourself a lot of pain running into a door that God never intended for you to go in. God is the God who leads us into opportunities. Billy Graham turned 90 in the last couple of weeks and uh, it was interesting. He said there are a lot of crises in the world today, but Christianity has always seen those crises as opportunities to share the good news. And I hope we can see that, that I hope we can prioritize the ministries of our church and the ministries of our own individual lives. I hope we can prioritize them around the doors that are open to share the gospel. We ought to concentrate our energy on those opportunities to make Christ known. But to make Christ known, as he describes, he says, we're going to have to be the kind of people who reveal Christ just by our lives, so that people know who we are. When we walk into a room, what is the first thing people say about us? And I just want to say, it shouldn't be, oh, that person is from such and such alma mater, or that person uh, went to such and such school, or that person works at such and such place, or that person has such and such political affiliation. The first thing people ought to know about Christians is that we are Christians. We ought to be the fragrance of Christ everywhere We go so that when people see us, they say that person is a follower of Jesus Christ. God leads us into opportunities. He leads us into relationships. So notice in verse 13 that Paul says, I had to leave that open door. I was reading a commentary by David Garland, who's the interim president at Baylor right now. And the fact that he wrote two uh, books to the Corinthians is probably helping him right now. Uh, He's written two uh, commentaries on the letters to the Corinthians. And And he makes this statement in his commentary on 2 Corinthians. He says, the problem with strife within a church is it never furthers the cause of the gospel. And so here is Paul who's got an open door in Troas, but he can't stay there. Because he's so concerned about the church in Corinth and the divisions there that he moves on to Macedonia because he's got to find Titus. And here's what I want to say to you about God. If you say, what is God's will for my life? I can say without, without question, not only is God going to lead you into opportunity to share the gospel, but God is going to lead you into community. So Paul is desperately concerned about Titus, whom he he calls a brother here. And he's very concerned about Titus, but he's concerned about Titus because he's concerned about the church at Corinth. He's concerned the church at Corinth might have killed Titus. I'm not sure what his concern is exactly, but he's he's persuaded that he needs to make sure Titus is okay. And I wonder, where is your Christian community? And if you say to me, you know, I I just fly solo. I just love God and God loves me and that's enough for me. I just want to say that's not the will of God for your life. To live your Christianity in isolation. It's Dietrich Bonhoeffer who found himself in prison because at Flossenburg because he stood against Hitler back in 1945. And he finds himself there and he writes a little book called Life Together. He writes it while he's got this uh, Christian community with these other believers who are also in prison. And he says this, he says, the Christian needs another Christian to speak the word of God to him again And again, this is what Christians do when they come together. We bring the message of God to each other. That's why you need a Bible study class, because the best place for that to happen at Tallowood, Christian community, happens in our Bible study fellowships, in our Sunday school classes, where you know other believers by name, and they know you. And you not only study the Word of God together, but you bring to bear the Word of God on the issues in your lives. We need that. 
Our children need it. Our young people need it. And frankly, we as adults need that in our lives. It's where church happens in community with each other. And God led Paul into a place of opportunity, into community. I want you to see God also. He says, thankfully, God not only leads us into opportunity and community, but God God leads us, as he describes it, in to victory, into triumphal procession. And watch what he's saying here. If I could just sort of give you a picture. He's not saying that you and I are always victorious. I know people who say, you know, God will, if you're really walking with God, you'll never have a problem. Wow. <laughs> Read the book of Acts and see what happened to Paul when he found himself in the will of God. More often than not, he was having a problem because he was doing what God wanted him to do. And the more we do what God wants us to do, many times the more resistance we will meet, the more friction we will find. That's just part of following Him. And so when Paul says God always leads us, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession, is he saying, I'm always going to be victorious, I'm never going to have a problem. Now you know what what he's saying here, if you look at the context, the other place where Paul uses that word is in Colossians chapter 2 verse 15, where he says... Um, that Jesus, uh, on the cross, made a spectacle and paraded the powers and principalities, the forces of evil in this world. He put them on parade in His great procession. Jesus is the victor, and He carries His captives with Him in His train. And if you'll follow it, Paul understood, Romans chapter 5, that he had been an enemy of Christ. And I want you to hear what Paul's saying. He's saying... As I march after Christ, and I'm in this great parade, I'm not one of the conquering generals. I'm the one who's been conquered. I've been vanquished by God's love. I was an enemy of Christ, and He transformed me by His grace, and all I am is a trophy of God's grace. And as I march in procession behind my Master, Jesus, everybody who sees me recognizes if Jesus could save Him, Jesus can save anybody. This is what it means to march in triumphal procession, is not to walk around triumphalistically and say, because I'm a believer, I'm in charge of the world. It's to say, I serve the one who's in charge of the world. And by His grace, He found a way to find me. And as a trophy of grace, I want to make that known so that others will come to know Him. And I become, He says, this fragrance of Christ, the aroma of Christ to God. God, when He, when He senses our scent, it is that we represent Christ to Him because we are the body of Christ in this world. And what does that mean? The knowledge of Christ, He says. It's to know Him. Not only do we thank God for leading us, but for lavishing the knowledge of Christ on us and through us. He says everywhere. God always leads us. He always leads us to all places everywhere. He wants the knowledge of Christ to be made known. To know Him first and then to make Him known. And as we make Christ known, we have to know Him first. This is I mean, you can just go back and survey the Old Testament. In the prophets, Ezekiel chapter 37, um, God says to Ezekiel, can these dry bones live in this valley? And, and Ezekiel answers like we might. He says, the Lord knows. God knows whether these bones can live. Look what the world has come to, Lord. The dry bones everywhere. I don't know. Preach to the bones, he says. And when you preach to them and I raise them back to life, then they will know that I, the Lord, have brought them out of their graves. They will know me. 
Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34 says, No longer will people say, Know the Lord, because everyone will know me, from the least to the greatest. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14 says, The knowledge of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Paul would say to the Philippian church, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. We all want to know the power of his resurrection. That was last week. Do you want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings? Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul said, Now I fill up in my body. I continue the sufferings of Christ in my own body as I follow him so that I can make known this mystery among the Gentiles, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Sometimes we get this sense that if we're following Christ, that there will be no challenge. No. In fact, not everybody wants to smell the fragrance of Christ. Some people do. He says some people smell the scent of life. I'm amazed that some Christian entrepreneur hasn't established a perfume called Zoe, you know, the fragrance of life. But for some people, the fragrance of Christ brings on a sort of anaphylactic shock. Isn't that what he says in verse 16? Some people, they smell the smell of death. They Look, if you're a captive marching in the train and you've been captured by a Roman general and you smell the incense, the people in the crowd are going, wow, this is a great victory. This smells like life. But if you're the one who's been captured, it smells like death to you. And there are some who don't want to hear the message of Christ. I remember when I was in high school, I came back from Germany and we stopped through Chicago for about a month and spent some time with friends of mine. I'd just been called to preach. I'd begun to preach sermons over in Germany and, and uh, came back to the United States and stayed with my relatives. And, and then I went on to Montana and then the rest of my family came through Chicago and they came on up to Montana. And one of my brothers told me what my uncle had said. And this uncle whom I idolized my whole childhood, he said, you know, I like Dwayne, but he just talks about God too much. That's what he said. Kind of hurt my feelings, but you know, I'll just confess, I did. <laughs> I still do talk about God a lot. And, and it was interesting because at the time I thought, well, what was I supposed to do? I would have been unfaithful to my calling if I didn't talk about God because God is just, you know what it's like when you know Him. He's all you want to talk about. He's all you want to think about. He's the only one who matters in your life. He's the center of your existence. And the interesting thing is how those things come full circle. This, this, um, uncle of mine a couple years ago got really, really sick and uh, had a form of cancer and, um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and, the, and uh, he called me and he said, I want you to pray for me because I'm really sick. And I had the chance to pray with him over the phone. And then, you know, when Hurricane Ike came and we were in our car and we were leaving town, um, I saw this, you know, Chicago prefix on my cell phone and I picked it up and it was my uncle. And he said, I just had to call and make sure you guys are okay. I said, well, we're, we're fine. And he said, good. He said, so am I. He said, you know, the Lord has answered your prayer. And I just wanted to thank you for praying for me. It's, it's, it's not that everybody always wants to hear. You've seen this thing in the nation's capital. People have bought these advertisements on the bus that, you know, picture of a sort of Santa Claus there. Why believe in a God? It says, be good for goodness sake. You don't have to believe in God to be good for goodness sake. It said, I just want to say good luck with that. Because statistically, atheists don't do a whole lot of good in the world. They're not generous people. They don't share. Statistically, it's the followers of Christ who give to people who are in need, who give abundantly and generously to needs. And the reason is, once you've received God's great gift of grace, you want to share that grace with other people. And if you can't receive God's gift of grace to you, if you're not a trophy of grace, then you don't know how to give grace to other people. And by the way, we don't believe in a God. We believe in the Christ who is the only wise God. He is the center of 
our worship. He is the focus of our lives. He is the giver of our salvation. And we worship Him. Another example of those who don't want to receive it, for whom the fragrance of Christ is the, is the scent of death. Um, Bill Maher and this whole movie, Religulous, where he makes fun of all... He's an equal opportunity offender. He makes fun of all the religions. But in a little blog about that, he, he wrote and said, there's nothing more ridiculous in the world than these ancient myths that, that have become the world's religions today. And you know, I mean, if you ever... He's so irreverent. I know he's funny... But even Time Magazine, watched the, the reporter from Time Magazine watched that movie and said, he's not interested in, in conversation. Bill Maher is interested in confrontation. He doesn't want to hear what other people say. He doesn't interview people who really are vested in those faiths, but rather he wants to make fun. And I was thinking what it would be like someday for Bill Maher to find himself in triumphal procession standing before God. And all of his wit and humor and all that really wouldn't make any difference. And so I found myself this week, you know, there's a part of me that doesn't want to hear anything he has to say. But then there's a part of me that wants to pray for him. That somehow, someday, somewhere, some Christian will walk into his life and Bill Maher will sense the fragrance of Christ and say, I don't know what that is, but I need that in my life. And for his sake and... For the sake of whoever bought the ads in the nation's capital. For the sake of the people in your office and your family and your neighborhood who are not the least bit interested in Christianity. The ones who who don't want to hear about Jesus in the Christmas celebrations at the schools. For those people's sake, you and I have been sent into the world to be the scent of Christ. To make a difference. So Mike Bro tells about his daughter, Jody, who um, grew up as a preacher's daughter but wasn't interested in faith. It wasn't until she was a junior in high school that she became a Christian. And then, you know, she went all in, which is a good thing to do, by the way, when you become a Christian. She went all in. And so after she graduated from high school as a senior, she said, you know, um, I don't, I don't want to go to college. I want to go and be a missionary right now. And then I'll come back and go to college. And her dad said, oh, that's not a good idea. But it's kind of hard for a preacher to say to his kids, you know, don't be a missionary. And... Uh, She won that battle, and so she was going to go to a country 3,000 miles away on an island where there's voodoo religion and uh, where there's a lot of need and a lot of AIDS and a lot of burdens, and and he didn't really want her to go. He said it was the hardest thing he ever did to put her on that plane. But then he said, you know, through email and things, she stayed in touch, and she wrote him one night and said, Dad, this has been the best day of my life. I helped deliver a baby. It's the second time I've done it. The first time I had somebody with me. Tonight it was just me in a flashlight in a hut. And a lady screaming on the floor, on a dirt floor. And I was wondering, what am I doing here? And then this voodoo lady came in in her blue and red garments. And she she put this this oil on the lady's head. And then she put it on her her stomach. And then she stood there and just glared at me. And she just stared holes through me. And I just looked back at her. And I didn't know what to say. But then I just started singing. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. And as I sang, she just... She just came unglued, gathered her stuff and went running out of the place. She didn't understand English, but something got her attention and she left. And she said, I was just thinking, Dad, that this baby was born not under the curse of Satan, but under the blessing of Christ. And he said, as a dad, my first response was to write back and say, what were you doing in a voodoo hut with a voodoo woman? But then my next response was, way to go, Jody. Way to make a difference in the world. Way not to just follow the crowd, 
but to make a difference. And my word to you this morning is, if you, like Paul, see yourself as a trophy of grace, then you understand that you can thank God that He leads you and that He lavishes the knowledge of Christ on you and through you everywhere you go. You are a trophy of God's grace. So know Him and make Him known. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Would you make your presence known, I pray, even as we worship you, even as we sing. Call us to yourself, Lord. Help us to know that it's, it's who you know. It's, we get wrapped up in tiny things, Lord, but I pray that you would help every one of us to grow in the knowledge of Christ and thus fulfill your will for our lives and the lives of others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.